Hey folks, how you doing? Ty, Bench Clear Media. Man, I got a great, great conversation for you. A full interview with PJ from Collectible Kings. For those that haven't been following PJ, he started the shop about a year ago, right before prices started to collapse. But we hear really how the last year's going. And there are some incredible takeaways from this, whether as a collector, as someone who's looking at maybe starting a full-time business in the hobby, or just anyone interested in hearing thoughts of an owner that is getting it right. They're doing things right. And I'm so impressed with PJ. I think you're going to love this conversation. Enjoy. PJ, what's going on, man? How are you? Man, just living a dream one, one single at a time, I guess. <laughs> so uh, I noticed your defensive performance in this past game was not up to par. <laughs> what, did, what did Coach say to you when you walked to the bench? Oh, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> You know, I got, I got to, I got to get some extra rep, reps and watch some film of, um, you know, people opening packs and uh, make sure that the, the teams are uh, resorted into five and low boxes, boxes better. But uh, I think we'll get, do a better job next time. Oh my gosh. Well played. I love your new draft room here. This is great. I, I feel you, like we're, yeah, we're talking is... post game conference. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Just having a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, man, I, I'm super glad to have you back on. It's been gosh, six months. I think we so. talked fanatics news last. Oh yeah. And now you're celebrating your year anniversary with collectible Kings. And I've been obviously paying very close attention to what you're doing. I, I'm super stoked. Let's just start with a very important question. How are things going like a year, a year in tell everybody like, are you glad you made this move? Like, could uh, it oh yeah. I mean, you know, I really wanted to create something that, was that had the collector more in mind than just myself because yeah. i mean to be honest if you're getting sealed product and you're direct i mean really you can have a hole in the wall and people will still come to it and you can sell all your sealed product but to me like i wanted to create a place to where like people can hang out and it's not just about like hey let me just get you to buy this 500 dollars box of cards i want people to have an experience to to hang out with their kids or their friends as a meeting spot and so forth. So that's really what the dream of this spot was because the old spot was too small to be doing that. Um, you know, we only had one table that people could sit at um, to pretty much do anything to open boxes, yeah. to go through the five and below. So, you know, we really made a leap here and we basically almost tripled the size. We went into a business park that had, I took two units over and we just put a hole in the wall and one full unit or side is what we call the collector's lounge. Yeah. So there's five tables in there. There's um, five and below boxes there as well. Um, the other thing is, is that um, we still have a bigger footprint of the original store as well. So okay. you, know, you can buy your box, go sit in the collector's lounge, even grab a drink out of the, the cooler if you want and just kind of hang out in there. We put a foosball table in there. We've got a TV with your videos on our uh, on our stream. And you know what? People like that because there's a lot of new collectors that come into the store and they're just learning. Yeah. So I'll still I'll I'll walk in there and I'll talk to people. And there's people just watching like when you compare like all the um the grading from SGC yeah. to PSA and so forth. I mean, people just sit there and they're just like watching watching the stream. Yeah. So um, just create kind of like the cheers mm. of sport cards or like, you know, you come in, be comfortable. You could be a big time collector. You could be somebody that just walked into a store 
And um, I mean, we kind of just have a place for everybody. And that was the concept. So um, we rented the place in December and I wanted to open February the 5th. And I had to redo everything, have a contractor, put brand new flooring down. Yeah. Try to get showcases in where, you know, how that goes with the, um, you know, trying to get them in and from all the yeah. shortages. Supply chain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we, we did it. We pulled it off and, um, the shop is better than I thought it would be. And the funny thing is, is I wasn't realizing how many new people would be here Mm -hmm. and I can pinpoint that we probably had a 30% increase of people that have never been to the shop before. Wow. Um, and it's crazy. It's insane. Um, I, I just, it's, it's definitely been very wonderful surprise on how well it's been doing. And, you know, I can, I'm, I'm just excited about the future for sure. So if someone would have told you, Hey, from the day you open, you're going to see a 50% decline in sports card prices across the board. Do you still want to open? <laughs> <laughs> what would you have said? <laughs> I know. I know. And, um, you know, yeah, you know, you can't sell those LeBron base cards for $30 anymore from last year's product, but you know, somebody's still buying them for three dollars a piece out of the five and below boxes. We still sell a lot of them there. But to be honest, I kind of like where the hobby is right now. Mm -hmm. I think people say, "Oh, well, you know, the hobby's dying." Some people are saying that and everything. But what I'm saying is, is that we had extreme growth from pretty much anybody, even the people that didn't even care about collecting cards yeah. that just wanted to try to make a quick buck. I think we lost a lot of those folks, but if you're looking at an overall growth percentage of people that are staying in the hobby, I mean, it's definitely much higher than how for the last 20 years, at least I would say. So I like the price points where singles are now. I actually like the price points of boxes coming down. Um, I think it's at a place to where everybody that the barrier of entry, even for kids really it has been removed. So a kid mm. can come in and he can buy a Lamello base mosaic card for $7 now where, you know, if it was jaw mosaic base from 2020, you know, those things were selling for probably 30, 40, 50 bucks yeah. during the pandemic. A kid can't do that. So, you know, I really like where it's at and um, you know, I think it's keeping people more in the game. I think, I think people are sticking around longer. Yeah, no, that's a really good perspective. And you're seeing it firsthand, obviously, with the kids and the adults kind of coming in. And and have you have you seen an increase in people coming in and saying, Hey, I, I just want to offload my collection? Like I'm getting a little <laughs> like a little frustrated and it gives you an opportunity to buy up. Is that mindset kind of coming into your shop, or have you felt like it's just been pretty consistently positive? Uh, we have we have a few. We have a okay. few people that um have done that, but it's mostly the people that I saw last year coming into the shop that I knew weren't really collectors, if that makes any sense, yeah, yeah. where they're just more like trying to buy product and flipping it and so forth like that. And then they got bored and they started ripping a bunch of it. Now they just got all this stuff yeah. that they don't know what to do with. Um, um, I think most of the audience that we have, the traditional collectors that come in or, or parents or dads coming in and say, hey, I haven't done this in 20 or 25 years want to see if I can get my son involved and so forth. And then they see all the stuff they, you know, once you bring somebody in to, if you can get them to rip something, regardless, if you think it's 
prudent or not prudent to rip a product. I think if you really want to be in this hobby and love this hobby, you got to rip something. I mean, mm. that's what the beauty part of it is. But I think once you get them to do it, it's kind of like they're in again. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So it's the drug. Know, of course it makes sense. That, that right drug. Now, you, get it like, you can come in the shop and buy a hoops blaster for $25 off our shelf and rip it where that was unheard of in 2020. You're, had to pay $75 for a hoops blaster if you wanted to even try to rip something. So, yeah, you know, I kind of like where it's at now because the other thing that I've noticed is Walmart is actually outpricing some of our product because they're thinking that they can cut out the reseller now too by saying, okay, well, we're going to charge 40 bucks for this blaster or something like that. Yeah. Well, I can maintain the MSRP requirement by Panini and Tops on some of this retail stuff that I'll actually be $5 cheaper on a blaster than Walmart. So to me, that's what's bringing new collectors even into our like, well, I mean, heck, this guy is cheaper on some of the stuff than Walmart or Target, which is pretty insane. But it all comes down to as long as I can get this margin to pay the bills and to make a profit, I really don't look at the secondary market hmm. on eBay. Like, oh, well, this box is selling for $900 on eBay, so yeah. I should be $875. I'm, I, I just don't think that way. And I think that's what's going to maintain the longevity of Collectible Kings because it's more about successful shops. If you look at any successful shop that I follow, it's more about the relationship. The relationship is more valuable than, hey, I got this guy to buy a $900 box of cards so that he won't be back again because he yeah. only got $200 worth of it. But if I take that same box and sell it to him for $550 or $600, where he goes and looks all the way around and sees that it sold for 900 and he gets three or $400 of cards, or maybe he gets a big hit. Then they're in the game longer. And that's the whole concept. Sam Walton's got nothing on collectible Kings. That's what <laughs> I just heard from that statement. Yeah. So no. what, what, <laughs> what would be the, the couple of metrics that have surprised you both on the positive side and on the negative side, when you look at, you know, the past 12 months, and you're like, holy crap, this is really cool. And oh my gosh, I can't believe this is not as high as I thought it would be. Any metrics stand out to you? Because I yeah, know you're actually, a numbers guy. You look at this stuff. Yeah, actually, what I would say right now, if you look at everything that's put out between sports and everything, Pokemon in our store is probably, as far as sealed product goes, is probably the number two seller in our store. And wow. um, it's just... The Pokemon collector is they basically got to make every set, regardless if they think it's a good product or there's a bunch of hits in this product or there's not a bunch of hits in this product. They're more of like, I got to make the set. So I need to get every single card. So they're coming in, buying the sealed products, buying the singles. I mean, my showcase, I the biggest showcase in the store is actually dedicated to Pokemon. So that's probably wow. more surprising to me because they're looking at the card and saying, I need that one, that one, and that one. They're not saying, well, can I get, is that PSA? What do you think that'll be a PSA 10? They're, they're not even, no, I'm not selling anything that's not in great condition, obviously, but it's just yeah. a whole different mindset. It's like, it's, it's more for the love of the card or for, you know, making a set, which is almost the mindset of the hobby was in the early 90s or the late 80s. Like if I wanted a Bo Jackson rookie card, I wasn't looking at it with my little monocle seeing if, right. you know, if it's in perfect shape. I just wanted that card. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the most interesting part. I think the, I guess, obviously the negative 
if there is a negative, there's really not much of a negative. I think basketball is really down this year. Mm. Basketball is way down. Like for the new rookie class, the sealed product and so forth, yeah. even the singles, there's just not much. Even if some of them are playing well and so forth, there's just not much interest. People still only want – it seems like they forget about this year and they want Ja Morant, Lamella Ball, and Anthony Edwards. Not too much Cade Cunningham or yeah. – you know, any of those guys. So basketball definitely is, a, it still sells, but it's even on the sealed product, it's still a slower mover. Right. Yeah. Now. No, that, that's good. The Pokemon stuff still, we've, we've had conversations about this offline. It just blows me away with what you're learning with Pokemon. Cause it's a, it's the cl- a collector space. I don't know that well. And when you hear the way they buy and, and sell and collect, it really does remind me of the late eighties and nineties. I think it's, I think it's a great parallel. It's just a very, yeah dedicated I think you've got to immense yourself as a hobby shop in it because I know a lot of hobby shops they'll try to chase down the hot product of whatever set that's coming out and they'll try to throw it on the shelf and sell it and then maybe they don't order too much of the next set or anything like that but if you stay consistent and actually build out a showcase and actually put the good cards in there and so forth you're going to start building that consistent Pokemon following that will just keep coming in and whatever's on the shelf booster pack wise or whatever they don't even care what set it is they'll buy a few singles and oh you don't have brilliant stars in oh well just give me three of those packs Mm. so it's kind of like you know if you i think more hobby shops need to pay attention more attention to that pokemon collector than just throwing a few booster boxes on the shelf and you know trying to trying to catch the hot set when it comes up or whatever yeah, absolutely. Well, you already said, and it's number your, your number two seller. I mean, that that's enough in itself to cause someone to focus. Your basketball comments interesting because I feel like one thing I've noticed this year with basketball cards is stats and performances aren't affecting prices of cards. They're just not like even John Morant, for instance, right? He puts up fifty two the other night on the Spurs, I think, and he has that crazy dunk and he hits that awesome shot, <laughs> and like last year or the year before like prices would have been like 25 percent higher on almost every card he has right but i, I was right. watching the numbers like before and after and like it was a blip no, like yeah. and maybe it's the supply that has a lot to do with it there's a ton of it out there sure but it, it's a little frustrating i think for people because you're you were you're used to that last two years of performances actually impacting cards and that's historically never the way it's been with cards anyway right right right, right. Well, you know, what's funny is, is that there are a lot of collectors now that say, you know, I'm going to stick to parallels or numbered cards. Yeah. And that's what they come in and say. And some are actually pretty good at staying that way. But they tell me that and then they go buy three base Lamello Donruss cards from me. So, I mean, I guess it sounds good. And then when they're there and they're like, hell, they're only seven bucks or whatever they are. Yeah. yeah. You know, why not? I, I think it's just up to what everybody and anybody really wants to do. Um, I think the thing of using cards as just a pure investment model is definitely a lot more difficult. Not saying that you can't do it, but it requires a lot more work than what it did two years ago. And I think that people are probably starting to realize, realize that it's not something like you can go on, I don't know, com C or card stock or whatever it is after Jamal Murray puts up 40 points and buys Donna's card and, and the second set and by halftime and then sell it at the end of the game for another $10. I mean, that's what it was during the bubble, yeah. but now it's definitely, you got to kind of know your stuff and then 
focus in maybe on a couple players and just say, you know what, I'm going to buy this guy right now. And maybe probably in six months, it might go up 20, 30%, maybe. If you have that mindset, then that's probably a good way to go. Mm. But the day trading of cards is very rare for sure. Gone. Yeah. I think, I think that whole era is gone and we'll, we'll talk about it years from now. Remember that time we could day trade cards. The bull um, ball craze. Yes. Yeah, oh, Do them all up on eBay. Sold the whole lot for almost $400. Yeah. You still rub that in my face. That. It might be worth $10 now, but thank you for that eBay. Purchase. <laughs> now that is a good eBay. It's a good eBay mover right there too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, if you were to go back February, 2021, what, what are a thing or two that you would have done differently when you started up the shop now, knowing what you know? I would probably have put more preparation into opening the shop. Oh, I really kind of underestimated the work and the effort that it would have taken to do it, especially if you're trying to have that five and below type of market for like boxes and cards. Like I didn't have that much of an inventory for that. And then also at the beginning, I didn't even sort them by team. I just sorted it by sport. Well, then you kind of sit there and you look at it. Well, nobody's going to look through a whole two or three shoe boxes of random cards and so forth. So, you know, now we got it down by a sport and by team. Um, and, you know, that that's a whole nother beast in itself because we've got to go through the shop three days a week. And I have my staff go through each one of those boxes because, you know, when you're looking, somebody's looking at the Patriots, they're just going to dump them all back into the Jets. So, you know, if you're not keeping an eye on that, you know, you're going to have to do that, but yeah. that's the way the cards sell. Like if they're not, I don't want to say people are lazy or anything, but like they got to be laser focused. So you got to make it the easiest way to find a card to make a sale. And I think that's kind of what I underestimated initially when I, you know, I thought, Hey, I got my showcases in here. I'll put, you know, um, put all the stuff in the, in the, in the, in the shelves. And I really thought that I could have one person there the whole day. And that's all we would need to run the shop. And from day one, we needed two people pretty much every day. And now in the new shop, we need three people in the shop every day, even on a Tuesday, Wednesday. So those are the things, maybe the scalability is was a, what, what I wasn't expecting. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting. That's stuff that you don't think about until you're there and you start doing it. Before long, you're going to be a Fortune 10,000 employer at this pace. Man, you're tripling every year. You'll be like, what happened up? Uh, uh, collectible Kings has a 10% share in fanatics now. I mean, <laughs> make sure I get my, gotta get, make sure I get my allocations, right? Yeah. No kidding. Hey, you do what you gotta do. Uh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about grading. I know you've, you've put some emphasis on, um, on grading with PSA and also now grading with SGC. Mm-hmm. What have you kind of noticed from the marketplace coming through your shop of people interested in now and now grading with SGC? Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts there? Uh, uh, large interest in SGC. Um, okay. You know, I was just really, before we jumped on board with SGC, just a higher end grader for PSA. I never did bulk submissions for any company. Okay. Um, if somebody had a really high end card and I only submitted at the hundred or higher uh, for PSA for people. Um, so, you know, getting that opportunity to work with SGC to get more opportunity for our customers to submit and where we're at, I would say, I don't want to say there's not a lot of experienced collectors or anything, but there's kind of, we're kind of building that base around here. So there's, I would probably say 80% of our client base has never graded a card. Wow. 
being cool. able to offer that service at virtually the same price as if they would do it themselves with SGC with yeah. us knowing the entire process and then not have to pay the shipping fees and everything. It's been huge for us. So, I mean, every, every Monday we've been, you know, sending out cards to SGC. And I think the difference to me, I'm a big relationships person. So nothing against PSA. They're definitely a big company and everything. And I understand it. They probably get so many requests from other dealers and shop owners and so forth. But yep. I could not for the life of me for an entire year, get anybody at PSA to return an email, a phone call or anything to see if they want to work with us. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, it's like, I am going to, if somebody shows me the attention and want to partner with me, I'm going to try to be the best partner that I can, either if it's with my directs, with Tops or Panini and so forth. Yep. Obviously, whenever we do something, I try to represent them in the most uh, positive light. Um, and the same thing with SGC, uh, talking, uh, to them, uh, they really like kind of what our mantra is and, you know, what we're trying to put forward. And I told them like, look, I will push you guys hundred percent, given the opportunity. And I think it's been great so far. And I think they've been, what I like about them is they're very responsive. I think they are very accountable in a hobby that, either has very minimal accountability or transparency. I think even when they make mistakes, I think they graded a Pokemon card or something maybe a few weeks ago. And the yep. uh, owner SGC went on there and did a video, totally owned up to it. Um, I think they're innovative. I think they, I think in the long haul, I mean, I think they're, I mean, PSA is definitely the behemoth, but what I like about them is they're not trying to say, you know, we're going to be better in PSA. I think they found their niche mm. and I think they're running with it. And I think that's why they're being so successful. I think they're probably number two or going to be number two as far as grading companies is, are concerned. And I think they're carving out themselves a good piece of the market as for vintage. And what I'm seeing is if you have cards anywhere from 25 to 150 bucks, I think they're perfect for that. Now, obviously yeah. they want cards higher than that, but this is generally what I'm seeing yeah. what they're perfect for. And um, they're just a great company. I can't say enough good things in my short time working with them um, about what they're doing. And we're definitely getting the customers for them. Sure. For sure. Wow. Well, this was not meant to be a sales pitch for SUC, but that was, that was, uh, they might want to cut <laughs> that out and use it. I'll be okay. <laughs> Jeez. No, oh my no, gosh. Take off good. your SGC underwear. What's I, up? I know. But what I think it's good is like, um, you know, really as a hobby shop owner, you got to be in the business of, you know, showing or teaching people. And I think we don't have too many people teaching or explaining how things work in a hobby. And, yeah. you know, I'll tell them, I'm like, look, this SGC slab here, you know, you're going to pay a lot less to get it slab. Maybe the value is not what PSA is, but based on your cost versus the cost with PSA and how long you have to wait. I mean, why wouldn't you want to have that card back either in your own collection or if you're going to sell it, you can make an extra $150 a lot quicker than yep. waiting for whatever PSA is going to do. And I think that's what shops need to do. And we're backing it up by putting more SGC slabs in our cases and they're selling mm. them. And yeah. I think that's the main test is like, you don't want to go with a company, grading company and get all these slabs and everybody just looks at them. Like the true test is, are there slabs moving? And their slabs are moving in our, in our store. And mm. I believe you proved that on one of your old, your other videos on eBay that they're moving on eBay too. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. No, that that's good. I, and I, 
I, I love your whole take on just the the job of a hobby shop is to educate. Like we we throw we kind of push that aside a lot and act as if the hobby is educated. And you got eighty percent of people coming in that never graded a card, but yet we talk about like the the grading phenomena that's happened. Like it doesn't add up. Like there's a lot of education that needs to be done. So that's pretty sweet, yeah. man. I'm digging yeah. that. I think it's I think it's good. And you know I kind of like everybody's scared or in the hobby. The fanatics, like the the whole fanatics way that they're going to, you know, destroy hobby shops or whatever. And I think what we're now seeing over the last few months, that they're actually going to align themselves with hobby shops that want to take the time to be that grassroots grower yeah. of the hobby. And like when I read Josh Luber's white paper, then I'm I'm very interested. I, I, I watched some videos on the Tops Industry Conference. I talked to some people behind the scenes at Tops and so forth. Yeah. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing exactly how I want to run my business based on what they're promoting. So to me, like, I think it's going to be a good thing for me. And who knows, it might be me more allocations for people that are educating and, and trying to grow the hobby more than just trying to get like, Oh, this guy's a VIP buyer. He'll buy the whole case. I don't sell cases to people. I want to grow. Like, look, if you, if you, I want to make sure if I can get, if I get a hundred boxes and I can get 70 some people to buy those boxes, that's more of a win to me than selling those hundred boxes to 10 people. Mm. I don't go for easy. I'm going for, I want to grow because I'm all about the residual business for my business. So if I'm selling yeah. to 70 some people, probably 60 of them are going to come back to the shop and buy something else too. Yeah. So we got to stop thinking about what's easy for me to move product and start thinking about how we can grow our businesses as a hobby shop and grow the hobby in general. Because if you don't have mm. people that collect, the whole hobby basically implodes because there's no trading or buying cards either. So we need to get more people in the hobby, regardless if they're only spending $20 a month or $2,000 a month. PJ is going today. <laughs> I'm hot. You see You're hot. Behind me? I'm like the number one draft pick right now. No kidding. <laughs> I, I'm digging it, man. I'm digging it. So that's a perfect spot to transition uh, into your commitment to social media. And you obviously have a lot of things going for you. Specifically, you have a great ring to your name, Collectible Kings. You have a great logo. Um, talk to me a little bit about what your approach has been to using social media to help drive your business. And we have a separate video that we did on breaker culture around whatnot. So we don't necessarily have to dive into that, but what's like, what, what has been your mindset there? Cause I, I'm, I'm digging the things you're doing on Twitter and, and I think you're investing in Facebook and IG and everything else. Yeah. Tell me, tell me more. about. Uh, it. Um, I think it's kind of like, um, you know, kind of lifting the curtain up for people. Like I think people are very interested to see what goes on into a hobby shop. Um, and to me, it's like, if I, whatever I can share and just try to connect with people, that's what I try to do. Now, obviously I'm, I'm not a card collector too. I don't have 40,000 followers or anything like that, but I mean, we've got five or 6,000 followers on Instagram, which I think is pretty good for a year. Um, you know, YouTube, we still got a lot of work to do there, but I'm starting to get people that come to visit the shop that said they watched your YouTube video. And I was like, you're one of those 15 viewers, <laughs> you know what I mean? But Twitter is starting to pick up. Facebook is pretty big for us too. Yeah. So you'd really just, I think if you try to perfect your social media post or video, you're just not going to post anything. 
because there's always going to be somebody that does it better. I mean, you do it really well. Car Collective 2 does it really well. If I compared myself to what I post to what you guys do, I'd never post a video or anything. So to me, it's kind of the the Gary V mantra. It's kind of like if you got a phone and you've got you take yeah. a picture, post the videos, and the more that you do it consistently, the better that you'll get at it. And you basically let people see your personality and people buy people. I mean, they buy the cards, but people yeah. like to connect with people. And, um, you know, my mantra is kind of being kind of, I don't want to say goofy or anything, but I am the king and, you know, I kind of just make it fun. Like to me, the yeah. hobby when I was growing up was fun, exciting, um, community. And that's kind of what I kind of want to create collectible Kings to be is just, it's fun. And if you yeah. can make a few bucks doing it, that's great. If not, you just want to collect cards you know, that or, or Pokemon or Funko pops, then, you know, we have that too. So I yeah. mean, that's kind of the whole thing with social media is just be yourself and um, just be consistent about what, what you're posting and don't try to copy somebody else. Cause you think it's cool. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I, I think in this world, at least the hobby world that we live in with, with a lot of shysters, a lot of fakes, uh, fake cards, uh, authenticity issues, we forget like on a personal level, how important that is too. like people. Oh, yeah. I think you're exactly right. Even more so now than ever, people love authenticity. Mike and I joke all the time. Like some of our best videos are the ones where we just get on and talk oh, and yeah. like be super real. And like, it's not even produced. It's just a camera and people love authenticity. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you're yeah, you know. I'm totally into that. What, what platforms do you feel like you're getting the most traction in? I mean, Instagram is always our biggest one. Um, so we probably get the most interaction on there. Um, I think it goes by demographic too. uh, you know, age group, probably my age group, early forties to older. They like to send us messengers on, uh, (laughs) forties. Give me a break. (laughs) I might look older, but, uh, you know, that's more Facebook. We get a lot more DMS on Facebook from there. Twitter is kind of all over the place. Um, so obviously some, some posts we get a lot of engagement on. Other posts, you really don't, um, you know, but hey, you got to you got to put it out there. I think there's more kind of on Twitter. It's more of the hobbyist, I guess you would say more yeah. of the very particular type of collectors. And they have their little groups and their niches and they like to complain about print runs and, and this, everything, which is fine. basically everything. Yeah, yeah, it's it, that's kind of that niche. And that's fine, too. Um, Instagram is more of just the wild west of high-end collectors, consistent collectors, somebody that just said, you know, who's John Moran? I mean, it's just, it's kind of a catch-all of of people just kind of interested in the hobby. Facebook is more, you know, traditional type of collectors too, just kind of your run-of-the-mill type of dudes and dudettes and that type of thing. So you kind of see the cross different. And then TikTok. TikTok is interesting, putting some videos up on there and you know, yeah. some videos I'll get like 4,000 views, 3,000 views. Other I'll get 15 views. So you just never know. It's kind of a mixed bag with TikTok, yeah. but you got to have fun with it. Yeah. Heck yeah. You know, we've talked about this, uh, this total shift in topic, um, on just calls and driving, you know, you don't, you don't invest in traveling to like the national and setting up a booth and regional shows. And there's a reason for that. Like wh- why is it when you talk about building community, you don't necessarily care about building the broader community from that sense. You, 
No, you don't like, see the, um, the payoff. It sounds like so. Really, the only show that I do, and I don't do it that often, is uh, the Chantilly Show. Yeah. So the Chantilly Show is probably one of the largest shows in Virginia, and it's only about an hour away from me. So we're actually setting up there in April, and you'll get like the um, sports car investor. He'll go visit that, and Car Collector Two will be there. So that's kind of the bigger show, and. Really, the reason why I like doing that show is because it's within an hour drive of my store. So guess what my main priority of that show is? It's like, hey, look at the singles we got. Look at the pricing we have. Yeah. Come yeah. down. We're only an hour away. If that show was any further, I probably wouldn't do it. Um, and then we do our own show, um, the show of Kings. And that's okay. kind of more of a – it's not a consistent thing. Um, okay. So we had our first one in November, and it was a huge success. I mean – crazy i mean we had a small venue and a very nice little hampton inn and i mean we packed that house and it was packed until until it ended and wow. we had a good group of dealers there everybody had great prices on their stuff we had a dj it was we had a trade room and it was just very cool and we teamed up with a local organization like because i wanted to all the table fees and everything and the raffles, like I wanted it to go to like an organization. So we had like a local softball team that the, one of the dads, the coaches is a customer of mine. And we ended up raising $3,800. I think yeah, 3800 awesome. somewhere around there. And to me, that's perfect because they benefited from it. The car community benefited from it because they got a card show locally and they got great deals and stuff. And the byproduct of it is, of course, you know, I... I put it on. Now I'm not looking for anything in return, but you got to know if you do enough good things for other people, it pays in spades. So yeah. obviously it kind of creates a name for yourself. And I keep getting people asking me all the time, Hey, when's the next show of Kings? I want to set up for it and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, well, once I get the shop, we just moved here this month. And then after the Chantilly, so we'll probably do it again in May. So really yeah. outside of that, I will be going to the national. We'll be seeing you there, but yep. I'm just going there to have fun for the experience. Like I just want to see what it is. I've never been to one before. So, you know, kind of yuck it up a little bit, bring my boys up there and the wives and, you know, just have a good time. Yeah. You want to be a collector. You want to be a collector at the show. Sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, a little backstory there. You got me excited. You're like, we got a VRBO and I text you and I'm like, sweet man, I'm rooming up with you. Looking forward to that. <laughs> And he comes back and says, no, I got my kids and my wife and multiple families coming. You're out, Ty. You out. I know, I know. I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, that, that's not going to work. Maybe, <laughs> maybe next year. I'll tell you what we should do. What we should do is next year, maybe we can either go to the uh, Tops Industry Summit together or something like that. So yeah. meet, meet you up there. We'll, we'll get a nice, we'll get a nice, uh, what is it, uh, VRBO or Airbnb or something like that and yuck it up for a few days. We can go sit through some inclusion presentations. That'd be great. Sign go. me up. <laughs> uh, all right. So two, two last questions for you. What are you, what are you watching closest the next few months and kind of throughout the rest of the year in terms of like the hobby health? What are you keeping an eye on? Um, really what I'm watching right now is obviously I think most hobby shops are watching is uh, I think it's getting more positive as more news comes out. You know, obviously the fanatics thing is definitely anytime that there's any change, regardless if it's going to be positive or negative, people don't like change in general. So what I'm trying to watch is, is that I'm trying to lay out the, my ducks in a row 
as far as like, if everything goes negative, can I pivot to something else? Like, so I'm trying to come up with a game plan as far as keeping collectible Kings going. If you know, the worst happens. And then I also have a game plan if, Hey, what if it stays the same or gets better? So right now that's kind of what I'm building out at the moment is kind of two different tracks of how I'm going to take care of that. Um, The other thing that I'm looking at right now is now that I have a larger shop is um, creating other opportunities for other collectors. So, you know, we expanded our Funko um, selection by probably triple. And then we just are going to start bringing Lego in. I mean, people collect Lego and use that as well. It kind of fits our motif of what we're trying to do um, with just the collector, even families. So we brought Lego in now. Um, So just diversifying, really. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm keeping my eye on right now. I dig it. No, I saw the Lego stuff on Twitter. That's that's just an awesome idea. I'm so glad you're able to like execute on that quickly. That's that's great. It's like everything Uh, I like to do or want to get back into, I'm like, (laughs) I need to get a contract with them. I need to do this. That, and and that's how you should think about things, right? As you run, yeah. run your own business, like focus on the things that you love and like find a way to monetize that. That's how you, that's how you do really well. That's how people do really well with things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question for you. Josh Luber pops onto this call. What, what do oh, you yeah. tell him? What advice do you give him? You know, what I would love is coming from a background with other people, the other businesses that I own, um, I think our industry lacks an organization to make hobby shops better at what they do. There's not an association really per se that I'm aware of. There's not a lot of training. There's not a lot of education. Um, It's kind of, we've got to look for the checklist or the marketing materials, not saying that none of the directs help or do anything with that. I think if you ask for it, I have some great connects at Panini and Tops that definitely support it. But I think there's a better way overall that, you know, there are some good shops out there that I definitely share information with. But what I found is there's a lot of hobby shops that come from a world of scarcity. Mm. So I come from a world of abundance. Like there's a shop that's probably 20 minutes away that I have a great relationship with. And to me, He's got his thing going on. I got my thing going on. And, but there's definitely a lot of shops in the hobby that they hate on other shops. And I'm like, for hobby shops to survive and grow, we got to have more of continuity about, Hey, this was a great idea in this shop or this, you know, this really works in mine. And I think fanatics can probably go out to the hobby world. Fine. You could probably find the top 10 or 20 shops on how, what works for them. And I think there just needs to be more communication like that and just run out like a, a blueprint or a footprint and say, these, this is the kind of things that we would like to see done in our partner shops. So if you want to partner with fanatics or whoever it is, Panini, we would like to see X, Y, and Z happen. Mm -hmm. And we want to know these type of metrics or analytics. Like I bet you, like I have, you know, uh, I have a system that I manage my customers and so forth. So I've got their text numbers. I've got tags on certain people, what kind of player they like, what kind of, like if they like baseball, Pokemon or whatever. And I guarantee you there's not a lot of shops that know, unless by memory, what their customers actually buy and when they buy. 
And I guarantee you that's what Fanatics is looking for. And But shops don't know this. There's a lot of shops that don't know this if they haven't been in another business before that required that. So to me, I'm looking for more of a partnership with you know, whoever that it is um, to help my business grow that I can reach more people and get more people into being collectors. I mean, that's really what the goal is for me. Well, Josh Luber's in tears right now. He's just so emotionally <laughs> invested in you. I think you, I think you convinced Give me a call. Him. Give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Amazing. Well, man, you are a breath of fresh air. Seriously. Everything you've done with collectible Kings has been, I'm just so glad I could even on the back end just participate in the journey. Uh, huge fan of you guys. Where can folks find you? They'll be all the links will be in the show notes, but just tell people where they can find you. And then, uh, we'll wrap this I up. think probably the best way is on Instagram. It's just okay. at collectible Kings. So you could just go on there, search us. We'll, we're up there. We're on Facebook as well. So just collectible Kings on Instagram, just search us out. And if you DM us, I will get back to you. It just might take a little bit longer, but you know, to close it, like, I think what's surreal to me is really me getting back into this hobby. I had a shop with my older brother from like 88, 89 to about 92, 93. And the only reason why I closed because he went to college and I was too young to run it myself. And we had it in a business park that my dad owned. And really what got me back, I mean, occasionally I'd go buy a blaster here and there throughout the years. But once my sons got to the age where they're really interested in collecting, the funny thing is, is I was like, you know, I'm a big audio audible um, podcast listener too. And the first podcast that I found, I was like, I wonder if there's any sports cards podcast. Yours came up. And the funny thing now that I think back is you were the first one that I actually listened to. And then now coming from 2018 to today, where I'm actually on you know, we're, we're kind of friends and podcasts and so forth. I'm friends with like a UFC fighter now. And then now I've got card collector Two giving me shout outs. I mean, it's kind of crazy that all that has happened in a span of just a few years. And it's, that's kind of the surreal moment. And then now that I have the shop too. So, I mean, it's just pretty awesome. Really. I don't know what else to say. It is absolutely awesome. You make it sound easy, but I know how much stinking work you put into it. It is not easy. It is extremely hard. It takes a lot of just grit. So yeah. props to you, man. Well, thank you yeah. so much for jumping on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a great week. Week.